0: Good morning, Camp CC, here on campus and online. We welcome you today to praise God and to praise Jesus. It says in 1 Peter 1:3, Praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been again because God
1: raised. I believe there's one salvation, One doorway that leads to life, One redemption, one confession,
2: I believe in the name of Jesus Christ, hey, I,
1: believe. I believe in crucifixion, by his blood I have been set free, I believe in resurrection, hallelujah, his life is death, let declare this All praise to God the Father, all praise to Christ the Son. called already one great lyrics but there's one lyric in this song that says I don't know what you're doing but I know what you've done and maybe you're there this morning in a season where you're like Lord I don't
0: know what you're doing but I'm going to cling on to what you've done in your faithfulness there's peace that out darkness the hope that's in the this future grace that's mine today that jesus christ has won so i
3: can have a seat. So my name is Jim Moyer. I'm one of the pastors here, Pastor Discipleship and Family Ministry, and we are going to enter into a time of worship, um, both in song and in doing communion. Um, We have uh, an opportunity this morning to worship our God in uh, the act of being obedient and coming forward. Participating in communion. So, this is a practice, a tradition that we have done as a church, this church, but the church in um, around the world for 2,000 years. This um, this communion uh, began when Jesus met with his disciples, and um, and that was over 2,000, well, about 2,000 years ago. So during his last Passover meal with his disciples, he took bread, he broke it, and he said, this this is my body given to you, and he took a cup of wine and said, this is my blood of a new covenant, do this in remembrance of me. So today we continue this tradition, and we will celebrate communion here this morning. The Lord's Supper gives us an opportunity to reflect for a few moments on God's love for us and his plan for us and the things that he's done for us is doing and will do for us. And we come to the table because Jesus offered his life for ours. He became the sacrificial lamb, atoning for our sin and restoring our relationship to the Father. In our worship, we declare that Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of our affection. And he's worthy of our allegiance. Jesus is worthy. You know, just a few days ago, I was reading in Revelation chapter 5. This chapter is a scene in heaven showing the majesty of God's throne. I was struck by the declarations of the attendants around the throne and their singular focus on worshiping the Lamb of God. are these words John wrote to us about those attendants before God as they fell down before the Lamb. John writes... Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. Then these attendants are joined by many, many angels saying, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. This morning we join in worshiping with all of creation, the God of the universe and the lamb of God. In our desire to follow Jesus in communion, we declare that Jesus is worthy Amen. I invite you to think on these truths as you prepare your hearts for communion. Declare Jesus is worthy in our singing and in our joining together in the Lord's Supper. The elements of the communion, the bread and the juice, are right here on the tables at the top of the aisles. And we will sing in the next few minutes, uh, two songs, and in that time, come forward, grab the, um, the elements, and then along the stage here, um, gather uh, or spread out and uh, eat and drink. If you're here with your family, we encourage you to do this, uh, take the elements together with your family. And if you are mobility challenged, if it would be difficult for you to come down, uh, down the kind of the the incline to, to get down here, that's no worries. Uh, we have the ushers that would be happy to provide the elements for you. Just get their attention, and they would uh, they'll bring that to you. And when you're done, uh, for those that are down here, these baskets on the on the stage are for your empty uh, cups. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Your word shows us just a glimpse of what it's like to worship in heaven. And Father, we thank you that we can join with all of creation and worship this morning, both in song and in communion. And we give you thanks for your love, for your plan, for your invitation to be part of your family pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let us worship together.
4: for giving it your all for us, Lord. And now we stand here and we give our all to you, to give you praise and praise.
5: with us today we got to honor some people I want to have the ruds come out the entire family of the ruds Uh, if you guys are new to our area then you might not know this but if you've been in our area for a while you know that the ruds have uh, basically kept a ministry in our city for some I found out 69 years started with your father John and then it came down and you kept it going and so uh there Christian family a bookstore supply store uh, we were talking earlier that at the height of the uh, uh, the movement of the store was four stores that were open four stores open in total and we did some arithmetic we tur- we tur- the we we told the first hour that was in the 10,000 Bible range but then he did some more math. And uh, over the 69 years, how many Bibles do you think were if sold, would have been sold throughout the whole family's four stores? Well over 200,000. Well over 200,000 Bibles probably sold. And so we didn't want uh, to uh, make sure... That we honor you I know it's a time of retirement and everybody gets to have that and you've been such a staple in our community we didn't want that to go by without uh, honoring you as well at the same time and so Kenny actually has something for you and he wants to tell a quick story that I think the church is gonna love at the same time All
6: right. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home I accepted Christ when I was 15 And I bought my first Bible when I was 16. This Bible right here from Jane at Christian Family Supplies um, back in the day. I didn't know I was going to be a pastor then. She didn't know I was going to be a pastor. But this Bible right here has always been my favorite Bible. When I was being discipled when I was young, I memorized all my verses out of it. So when I'm um, quoting verses, it's often in the NIV version from uh, the 80s, and that's this one. So I, um, I just wanted to think about the ministry impact they've had of those 200,000 Bibles that have been sold through the store. How many other people have been transformed by the reading of God's word through their own discipleship through those Bibles? A uh, huge impact. So you guys are all going to retire someday and we're not going to bring you up here. But the, these guys had a ministry in this community and in this county that was significant. and We didn't want that to pass by without saying, uh, well done. A good job. Um, we also have this. I'll trade you. Um, this is a proclamation from the city of Camarillo, acknowledging their over 50 years of uh, service in our community. And there was a, a, a regular person who went to their store, who went to the city and asked them to do this, and they brought this to us. So this, we wanted to give this to them as well as a way of honoring them for what they've done. I
5: love the notion that it was more than just a business. It was a ministry, and when it's ministry-related, the whole family's affected. And we know the ups and downs, and yet here's a a family that said, you know what we want, we believe in this. You were just telling me in between hours how there would be um, mission groups that would come by tracks and take them to other countries. Um, from their store. So even right here in Camarillo and yet affecting the world. Uh, I neglected to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for them in the first hour. So we're gonna do that now. And when I say amen, everybody's gonna stand up and give these guys a round of applause for a faithful faithful service to our community. Father, we thank you so much uh, for this family. We thank you for the ministry that has been uh, 69 years deep and 50 years locally. We thank you for the Bibles that have gone out. Kenny himself receiving his first Bible from this Christian family bookstore. We thank you for the ministry that you've done and that you will continue to do. Would you honor these people? Let them know that in their hearts that you see them looking down from heaven and say, well done, good and faithful servants. You have done a good job for the glory of Christ. And we all say, amen. Please give these guys a round of applause. All right, well welcome to Camarillo Community Church. You like the new bumper? Thank you for all of you people who are involved with the bumper videos and changing our sets and all that stuff, uh, keeping it fresh while we continue through the book of 1 Samuel. And so that's our new purple bumper. They tell me it's purple, looks blue to me, but who knows? Anyway, uh, welcome to Cameroon Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. In case you're new to us and I'm new to you, welcome. I'd love to meet you. I'll be on the patio afterwards. I love getting to know some new folks along the way and hearing your story about how you heard about us or, or, or why you ended up here this morning. You may be watching online for your first time before you make it here on campus. And welcome to you as well. If you're outside or in the video venue, wherever you're at, We just like to say welcome to you all. Some people might even be watching this on Friday and you just didn't wanna miss an installment in the week and you had something to do this weekend and so welcome to you as well. I wanna encourage you all to bring your jerseys next week. Next week is Jersey Sunday. And so uh, I'm thinking about wearing the Rock the Brock jersey if it comes in on time. I got it like two days overnight, overnighted, so that should be like Monday, so I should have it. And uh, my 49ers read, preaching. There's gonna be no better sermon than when I'm wearing the 49er jersey. So uh, you wanna be here, you wanna wear your jersey. Every year, we pick a team that's no longer welcome at our church. <laughs> and this year, it's gonna be the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, So if you are a Philadelphia Eagles fan, you got to find another church. You are no longer welcome here. I say that just joking, but I do hate the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, now watch, everybody's going to wear their Philadelphia Eagles loud and proud next week. That's okay. We've told our ushers how to call the police, uh, private... Private property, and uh, and we will escort you out. Wear your jersey next week. It's Jersey Sunday. Even if you're into college more than you know the professional, you know you can wear your college jersey. Well, should be a fun time together. So wear jerseys next week. And then one last housekeeping item before we dive into the message, and that is to say this: If you were trained during uh, during our GDI methodology in quads in our discipleship um, um, uh, mechanism. In, in a quad setting, like you've gone through that and you've been trained as a leader and you are willing to lead a quad group. We need to know who you are because we would like to funnel more people into that ministry, who will be discipled? Uh, I went through that myself when I first got here. Enjoyed it immensely. And if you're looking for a new way to go deeper in your faith, more than just talking about the, uh, the sermon in a growth group, the quad might be the spot for you. But before I unleash you to go find a quad, I want to make sure we have leaders that will lead the quads. And so, would you make yourself available to Pastor Jim, who was just on our stage earlier, and uh, let your let, let him know, hey, I'm willing to lead a quad. We need to know a list of names so we. Can can push that ministry forward as well this fall. So can you do that? Email him at jim at camcc.net, and uh, we'll move on uh, from there. But we're excited about that ministry growing as well. Well, our story this morning starts about when I'm about, you know, probably college seminary days. Uh, Still a uh, young single man and going home to Northern California, the Bay Area where my mother was at the time, she's since passed away, but where she lived for, let's say, Thanksgiving or Christmas. It's around Thanksgiving or Christmas season. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but I know it's rainy season and I know it's a holiday because I'm home visiting my mom. Whenever it would rain like torrential downpours in Northern California, my mom had this habit of always driving in the slow lane. It's probably a really good habit, actually. Uh, we don't see a lot of rain in Southern California, but it would come down immensely in Northern California. And so she would hit the small lane, and there was this little tradition, kind of a family tradition, when, when somebody whizzed by in the fast lane, we would wave and say, goodbye, we'll see you in a couple miles. And the idea was that in a couple of miles, you might be attached to the center divide. Because it's raining so hard uh, that you're going to hit a hydroplane at some point and lose control. And we would often see, because we're Northern Californians, we understand this, uh, especially the first rains, uh, it's slickier, and, and, and you would often see people attached to the side who weren't driving safely. It was our way of saying, hey, we'll take the safe route, we'll go through the slow lane, and we'll just get there when we get there, but we'll get there safely. And you can go as fast as you want, but we might see you attached to the center of the divide. There was one time we said goodbye to somebody, and we'll see you in a couple Miles, and no sooner that we said that, did we see him veer off all four lanes, across all four lanes, in front of my mom's car and hit the uh, cement embankment of a cement overpass. Our little joke wasn't funny anymore. My mom pulled over, this is about 4,400 yards in front of us, she pulls over to the side of the road. My mom was a nurse and so she kicked into like, you know, emergency nurse nurse mode, which I just think is awesome. My mom was so rad. And she goes, call 911, and then she jumped out of the car and ran to the vehicle. When she got to the vehicle, she was gonna see if there's any survivors, does anybody need help, and then triage the situation and go from there until the paramedics could get there and, and take over. When she got to the car, she noticed that the car was still revving at its high point of RPMs, even though it was completely demolished and the car was attached to the overpass. She knocked on the window with no response. Knocked a couple times, but the person wasn't responding. Finally, she opened the wind, opened the door herself and started talking to the young man in the front seat of the car, in the driver's seat of the car. She noticed that he was completely conscious. He wasn't bleeding. He, wasn't, he, he was conscious. His eyes were open. And he was there, but as she asked him a question, he wasn't really there. It was like he was in such a state of shock that he couldn't process whatever my mom was saying. You're safe, it's gonna be okay, I can see you're okay, good thing you had a seatbelt on, why don't you take your foot off the gas pedal, is what she was telling him. He had attached his foot all the way to the gas belt, all the way, and just revving the vehicle completely and not realizing he needed to take his foot off the gas pedal. She said it again, and he was not responding. Finally, she had to take his knee and physically remove the leg from the gas pedal and place it to the side. It's about that time that the paramedics came by, and obviously we stayed until, um, until we, there was uh, official help along the way. Um, but he was completely paralyzed in his fear or his state of shock. He was completely paralyzed in a state of fear or a state of shock that he could not remove his own foot off the gas pedal, not realizing that he's attached to a cement wall that is not gonna move. He was just in a state there, but not there. Real life situation, of course we stayed there until the paramedics and the fire department got there, but it mirrors something that I think can happen in our own spiritual lives and our own spiritual walk. That is like, have you ever been stifled or frozen spiritually, paralyzed because of fear and anxiety? Has that ever happened to you? Has fear or anxiety ever rendered you immobile, frozen, paralyzed, stifled from moving forward in your spiritual walk with God? Well, if you like the most of us in the room, you have dealt with bouts of fear and anxiety then I think you'll find this message to be a little bit helpful to you in your life and in your walk with God. Why does fear render us motionless? And what is a solution? What is the path of mobility when you've been stifled and reduced to an emotional immobility? And what if the present circumstances don't change? How do you move forward from being spiritually Paralyzed, so to speak, and where is God in the midst of it? Now, before we dive into the Word of God, I want to give my caveat again that I've given a couple times when we talk about mental health issues, fear, anxiety, depression, uh, things of that nature. Uh, I do believe that there is something of a chemical imbalance at times. And when we're talking about a chemical imbalance, you need to continue following the instructions of your doctor and then take these principles that we're learning in the scriptures and add them to whatever your doctor is telling you to do. All right? Add them to, not in place of. Does that make sense? because I do believe there is, a, there is like normal everyday anxiety and depression and fear that we all deal with and then there's another classification that's a bit higher when there's chemical imbalances in the brain and I do think you need to be under a doctor's care for those things as well as taking these principles from the scriptures and adding them to your life as well because I do think they'll be helpful for you as well. But hear me say that, not in place of, add to. I'd love for you to open your Bibles to First Samuel chapter seventeen. We are moving right along. If you're wondering what that is, it is after chapter sixteen. Get to chapter 17. We're gonna look at verses one through 11. I'm just kidding. I know I have somebody who's new in the audience today. The very first couple pages of your Bible, there is this thing uh, that will give you the actual page number of every book in the Bible. Reference that. Every Bible is different. I would give you my page, but it won't be the same as yours. And so get there. Get to 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verses one through 11. The overarching question today that we're asking or hopefully that we find answers to in our text is why is it that sometimes we find ourselves paralyzed by fear why is it that we sometimes find ourselves paralyzed rendered immobile stifled just can't can't get past i'm just almost like in a state of uselessness why is it that i find myself paralyzed by fear spiritually at times and the first thing we're going to see is because we forget god's past provision We forget God's past provision. I want you to hang out with me here because most people, when you ask them, how has God come through for you in the past over here? They would have stories and tell you, oh, I can tell you like five times in my life where I see God come through for me in major ways. Sometimes he came through for me in a couple weeks. Uh, There was another time he came through for me in a couple months. And there's another time he came through for me and it took a couple years to see it, but he's come through for me. I have the stories to prove it. And then we end up in the present and we see a new challenge, an extreme challenge, and we forget about how he's been faithful in the past and we become stifled in the present or even the future of whether or not God will be there for me. Is he going to be here right now in this one? And will he be here in the future? Man, that's overwhelming to think about, but if I think about the past and remember the past, I can remember how he's been faithful to me. So when we ask the question, why is it that sometimes we find ourselves paralyzed by fear? It's because we forget God's past provision. We forget God's past faithfulness to us. We forget how God has been faithful to us in the past. I want you to see this. Uh, in verses one through three together. It'll be on the screen. It says this. Now the Philistines gathered the armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokoth, which belongs to Judah. Now you'll notice that's highlighted on the screen. I'd love for you, if you have a pen or a pencil or a highlighter, to highlight it in your Bible. It's gonna be significant to where we're going today. They were gathered at Sokoth, which belongs to Judah, and in cap between Sokoth and Ezekiel, in the... F. damon, type And uh, Saul and the men of Israel gathered as well, and they were encamped in the valley of Elah. And they drew up a line of battle against the Philistines, and the Philistines stood on, on the mountain of one side, and the Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley in between them. Why is it that sometimes we find ourselves paralyzed by fear? Well, we forget God's past provision, we forget God's past faithfulness to us i want you to picture this it's very simple there's a mountainside or a hillside over here there's a mountainside or a hillside over here there's a valley in between the two army of israel on one side army of the philistines on the other side the battle lines are drawn is the idea all right the battle lines are drawn they're facing each other on a mountainside i want you to picture it in your mind because it's important for where we're going later on in the text there's a dry riverbed in the valley in between the two armies. Army on this side, up on the mountain. Army on this side, on the mountain. Riverbed, valley in between. They're set and ready to have war against each other. And yet there's this little clause in verse one that I had you highlight. They were gathered at Sokoth, this is the Philistines now, who were gathered at Sokoth, which belongs to Judah which belongs to Judah. Now, here's the interesting thing. When we look further in the story, as we see we're there later today, there's a guy named Goliath who stands head and shoulders above the rest of anybody in, in the Philistine area and anybody as relates to the Israeli army. And he strikes fear in everybody on that battle line. But here... We have this little line that seems to indicate that the Philistines are already encroaching on Israel's land. They were at Sakhov, which is the land that belongs to Judah. It was already theirs. And I just have some questions about that. Like, how did they get that land? How did Judah get that land? How did Israel have claims to this land? Wasn't, we're in Israel, weren't they slaves to the Egyptians at one point? How do slaves now own land? How do they go from slavery to now having your own land that you could defend against a, an army or a foe or, a, or an enemy out there? How did they get that land? Well, I'll tell you how they got the land. God gave it to them. He was faithful in the past. He provided for them in the past. And it was no small thing. Uh, uh, You remember the whole, you know, Charlton Heston, let my people go bit, right? Uh, uh, Moses goes to the Egyptian uh, leader and says, you're gonna let my people go. 10 plagues later, fine, you can go. They go, all of a sudden they're against this big sea. Oh man, we're just gonna be taken out because now the Egyptians want us back and so they're coming after us. God parts the sea, they walk on dry land, which by the way is a miracle in itself, part, two, part the sea uh, and divide it in half and tell me how there's dry land. It literally says they walk on dry land across as he parts the sea. And not only that, after they get across, the Egyptians go, oh, well, there's dry land, let's go. They run after them and then the seas collapse on them. They are able to, accept, uh, to escape the, the biggest army in the world without even yielding a sword. God provides for Israel. God takes care of Israel. God is faithful to Israel. We've seen it in the past. I actually think this little line is really significant. That's why I bolded it. They were gathered at Sokoth, which belonged to Judah. Israel, you've seen God provide for you in the past. Why are you so fearful of the present? It's a little clause where God reminds them of their past provision. And when we forget how God has provided for us in the past, present giants overwhelm us. We end up paralyzed in our fear. Forget how God was faithful over here, so in my present context, I'm really scared that he won't be faithful here, because I've forgotten what he did over there. Well, that's not the only thing. We'll keep on going. Why is it that sometimes we find ourselves paralyzed by fear Well, number one, because we forget God's past provision, his past faithfulness. And now number two, because we get blinded by our present realities. Whatever that present challenge is, we get blinded by that. Uh, We get distracted by it. We can't see anything else behind it or around it. We can't look above it. It's just so huge in our minds that we get blinded by that and forget that God is involved the entire time. Why is it that we sometimes find ourselves paralyzed by fear? Well, because we get blinded by our present realities. I want you to see this starting in verse four of our text. It says this, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Wow, 5,000 shekels? You don't even know what that is. I'll tell you what that is later. Uh, He had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin uh, of bronze slung between his shoulders. A shaft of his his spear was like a, a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come and drawn up a battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Why aren't we fighting? How come you guys won't come down here and fight me? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our our servants and serve us. Basically, be enslaved. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give a man that we may fight together. And when Saul, Saul, and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were what? Dismayed and what? Greatly afraid. I'd love for you to highlight that, underline that, circle that. Why is it that we sometimes find ourselves paralyzed by fear? Well, because we get blinded by our present realities. We get blinded by whatever's in front of us. The giant in front of us stifles us, renders us frozen, like we can't even realize that our foot is on the gas pedal when you're attached to a wall. We're just immobile. Well, there's a great bit of detail described about this giant and his weaponry. if you are are a believer you've heard the story of david and goliath a hundred times here's the interesting thing even if you're not a believer you're new to the faith you've heard the story of david and goliath it's a famous story one of the most famous stories in the bible but it's really interesting because it goes into detail in great detail about the giant what he's wearing his weaponry his stature his standing how tall he was Uh, we read that he's like six cubits in a span we don't know what that is That is nine foot nine inches tall. Now, for some of us who run a little high on the skepticism, you know, scale, let me just say this. You look at it and go, well, that's why I don't believe the Bible. (laughs) I've never seen anybody's nine foot, nine foot, nine foot, nine inches tall. So obviously the Bible's not credible, and I just set the Bible aside because obviously it's not true and it's detailed facts. Well, before you discredit the scriptures, let's let me give you some things that I learned this week that I thought were very helpful and insightful. All right? In the 13th century BC, we have Egyptian papyri stating that there were warriors in Cana who ranged from seven to nine feet tall. So that's 1300 years before Christ. We have actual historical literature, Egyptian historical literature, that says that there was these folks that that ran this tall. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh yeah, that was centuries ago. So, so, you know, that, that was just urban legend. They got, you know, they got bigger and bigger every 100 years. Okay, I got you. In the 1600s, now this is 80 after Christ, 1600s, there was a man named John Middleton who was 9 foot 3 tall. Now, so that's still 400 years ago, Pastor, so there's still time for that to become urban legend. Okay, all right. In 1940, July 15, 1940, is a gentleman named Robert Wadlow who died at 8 foot 11 inches tall. We're not even talking 100 years. Um, At the very least, we have to say that there are some anomalies where humans can get really tall. And and and, and if you want to add to that, that in the old testament there are some people, yours truly is one of them, who believed that there was a canopy of water surrounding the earth that would allow the light rays from the sun to go back and forth and not affect us as much so that we could grow older. So when you read the Bible and you see somebody is hundred and whatever years old, you go, that's not possible. It is possible since there wasn't rain. If there wasn't rain, we need water. Where'd the water come from? Maybe there's a canopy of water around the earth that would allow people to live a little longer because the sun doesn't. And affect us, I actually ascribe to that view. So there's reasons to believe that these things are true if you run even a little high on the skepticism scale, and I would just point you to as early as 1940, a god named Robert Wadlow, Google it yourself, he was 8 foot 11 foot tall when he died, he died in 1940, I think he was 21 years old, it was too much for his heart probably to to uh, keep that body alive, but he still got to eight foot, 11 inches tall. It's possible, just telling you it's possible. Nine foot, nine inches, big dude. He wore a helmet of bronze. Helmets were not often used at the time. Uh, this is kind of atypical, but it was an extra source of protection. Helmet of bronze, you can't strike him. In fact, his whole body was, well, hit had a, like a, a, a full body armor. The weight of his armor was 125 pounds according to Western measurements. When we take the Bible's measurements, the cubits, and we turn it into into Western measurements, we get 125 pounds. What does that tell you? Big dude carried a big old, big old armor. Probably walked slowly because it's so heavy. Wasn't able to move very fast. But how do you kill a guy with that kind of armament? From head to toe, massive dude. He had uh, scale armor. It's like fish scales all over his body made out of bronze. You know what a fish scale looks like? Imagine all over his body made of bronze. How do you pierce that? Completely head to toe, even his legs, it goes into detail. His legs were covered as well. You can't even strike his leg. His entire body was covered by some kind of armament. You got to believe that that was very intimidating to israel's line because if you remember earlier in our series the philistines had limited him in their ability to get bronze and iron so they couldn't make weaponry and this guy's got a full army suit fish scales all over his body of bronze so you can't pierce his armament and we don't even have the weaponry to fight him the only place that was uncovered on his body was what his face ironically enough that's all God needed which we'll see as we keep on going in the next weeks to come I had an offensive weapon of a javelin the spear at the end of the javelin was made out of iron it weighed 15 pounds again great detail Iron was used for the armament because it was, uh, I'm I'm sorry, bronze was used for the armament because it was cheaper than than iron, but iron is used for the tip of the spear. Why? Because it stays sharper for longer. Again, Israel's looking at all this going, man, how in the world can we beat this giant? On top of it all, he had a shield bearer. There's two types of shields in those days. It would be like a small round shield that you can hold up like we see on TV or whatever, you know. Um, And then there was like a rectangular shield that where you could hide your entire body behind. And that's the kind of shield that Goliath had. Not only did he have that, he had somebody who was going to hold it for him. So you got this guy with this huge, you know, like completely head to toe, you know, tactical gear. And then he's got a guy who has a shield that's a big rectangle that he can hang around, uh, that he can hide behind as well. How is it possible to ever defeat this guy with the kind of itinerary and defense mechanisms that he has? I want you to take notice of how detailed the description of his weaponry is. And I'd like to point out to you that when we are facing extreme challenges in our lives, we oftentimes dwell on the details of the challenge more than we dwell on the faithfulness of our God. Why is it so detailed on what he was wearing? Because all we can see is what he is wearing. We can't imagine defeating that giant and we do the same thing in our lives. I'm not worried about how God is faithful in the past. Not thinking about that because I'm too focused on every detail. This giant that's before me right now—I can't see past anything else. I'm blinded, stifled, frozen, paralyzed by what stands before me. Well, that's not all. He starts uh, talking a good game too. Let's go back to verse eight. See if we can put on the screen. He stood and shouted the ranks of Israel. Why have you come out to draw the battle? Why aren't you fighting? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Aren't we supposed to be fighting? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, then we'll be your servants. And if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants. This is way more economical, uh, less bloodshed. Let's just do one for one. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were stifled. They were paralyzed. Frozen in fear is the idea. Why? Because they were intimidated by this giant and they were intimidated by his challenge. I like to call it the one-for-one one challenge. Give me your best guy, your strongest guy, your tallest guy, your, your fiercest warrior. Bring him down. We'll go to the valley. Whoever wins. We'll let the gods decide, so to speak, in the divine warrior motif of the Old Testament. My God versus your God. Your God will will be represented by your guy. I will represent my God, and we'll fight. And the gods will determine, let their will be set, and whoever wins takes the full booty of the situation, which would be everybody involved. Interestingly enough, Goliath uh, is called a champion in verse 4, and the word champion literally means a man between two armies. Let's let the gods aside. We'll settle it this way. All of Israel, even Saul, are dismayed. They're greatly afraid. And this is a new low for Israel because one man blocks an entire army after they had seen in the past how nations would flee in front of them and run away because of God's faithfulness to them. But now they can't get past just one guy. One guy. Which, by the way, Who was the tallest man in Israel? Who was the fiercest man? Who was the the boldest, the the one, the strongest man, the fiercest fighter? If we were going to do this one-to-one, you know, challenge, who would that person be in all of Israel? Uh, I think a couple of you caught on to it, but I want to take you back. I, I I don't want you to turn there, and I didn't put it on the screen. I just want you to listen to this. This comes back from 1 Samuel chapter 10. And verse 20 says this this is when Samuel was installing Saul to be king of Israel. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot, and and he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And then Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot, but when they sought him, they couldn't find him. And so they inquired of the Lord, and they said, is there still a man to come? And the Lord said, behold, he's hidden himself among the baggage. That's why I always say that he's hiding at baggage claim. And then they ran up and took him there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Do you know who the tallest man in Israel was who was supposed to fight the tallest man of the Philistines? Saul. And he's not that excited to face that battle. In fact, it says he is greatly dismayed, and he is stifled, frozen, paralyzed, in fear, but that was his battle to have. And as we're going to continue to see in chapter 17, he doesn't take up the leadership reins and fight that battle. Saul was supposed to be the one who would take on this challenge, but he's too busy being stifled by his own fear. Well, let me direct you to the big idea this morning. I think it might surprise you. And that is that the giant in your life has less to do with present circumstances and more to do with God's ultimate purpose in your life. I want you to really take that in for a second. The giant in your life has less to do with your present circumstances, whatever that thing right now that I can't see around or above or underneath. It's just so overwhelming. It has less to do with your present circumstances and more to do with God's ultimate purpose in your life. You need to view the giant differently. It's not just what's happening in front of me. There is a purpose that God has for me, and that's the giant that I need to overcome in life. And the reason I say that is because most people take the story of David and Goliath and they apply something of a notion like this. God wants you to slay the giants in your life. For example, in the midst of your frustrations with a lack of uh, mobility in your current career track or or job trajectory, don't worry, God wants to help you slay that giant. God's going to get you to slay that giant. You didn't get into the nursing program you wanted to get into. Well, don't give up. Try again next year because God is for sure going to slay that giant for you. Your spouse has abandoned you and left you with nothing. Don't worry. God will make sure and slay that giant for you. Your anticipated, expected ability to retire with a certain comfort level has been placed into question. Well, listen, you need to trust God, and that giant, too, will be slayed for you, and you will be victorious more than you could ever imagine. And people will take this idea that the giant in my life is, 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 is the hurdle to what I want in life. And so God is going to give me the ability to hurdle this giant so I can get to what I want. But here's the thing, the giant in your life has less to do with your present circumstances, more to do with God ultimately, his ultimate purpose is for your life. Like what if God's ultimate purpose for you is to have a different, difficult change in careers and start all over while you influence people for Jesus along the way? Well then that's your giant. What if he has you switch gears from the, no, the, 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 the nursing school of notoriety And where you end up with the one with less notoriety, but in the midst of it, you're a light in the presence of darkness. Well, then that's your giant. What if God isn't gonna bring the spouse of abandonment back, but has for you a way for for you to find joy in Christ anyways? Well, then that's your giant. And what if godliness plus contentment truly is great gain as according to the scriptures so that you don't need that 3,500 square foot house in your retirement? And maybe that's your giant. What if the giant doesn't simply represent what you want, but what God desires for you and your character? See, the giant in your life has less to do with what your your present circumstances dictate and more to do with what God's ultimate purpose is for your life. Several years ago, I was a part of a church, and... um, I. Church was doing a, a, a short-term missions trip to Mexico. In fact, we're going to do something similar this, this summer ourselves. We're going to call it the Summer of Mission, and we're going to have three different mission trips to go on, one to Mexico, one to Africa, and one to Romania. And we're going to open it up to our church who wants to go for us, who has the ability to go, who can take time off, and who will go. We're going to hear more about that in February. We already have that planned out. Um, but we're going to do something similar. And, and so they opened up the church. Who wants to go? We're taking buses bus full of people. We're going down to Mexico. We're playing with little kids. We're helping them build houses. We're doing little uh, uh, gospel programs we're introducing people to Jesus. Who wants to go? There's one particular family where this lady uh, was going with her three children. And nobody in the church would know this, but everybody on staff knew this. Her husband had just left her. And while he was supposed to be on this trip with her, with his kids, to Mexico, she was going alone with her three kids. course we would have given her her money back hey listen you're going through a lot right now you got bigger fish to fry don't worry we'll give you your money back you don't have to go we can make a provision for this since your husband just left you but she's like no i want to go i don't want to rob my kids of this amazing experience and so i'm going to take my children i'm going to go to mexico we're going to do this it was such a big deal for the church. It's the first time we ever done anything like this. Where we put people on buses, go to Mexico. They sent a videographer with them. And then on the trip, they were just kind of, you know, taking note of everything that was happening at this thing. And they were going to make a video, a compilation. They're going to give it to the church. Hey, everybody, we went to Mexico. Look what God did while we were there. And it was beautiful. It was like an amazing video. It was like five minutes long. All of us watched All of us are in tears. These little children who don't have anything. And now they have Christ, but they don't have a roof over their head. I mean, I mean just, just kind of dire straits like that. And towards the end of the video, they started interviewing all these different people who were on this trip. There was probably 100 people on this trip and they just started interviewing people. What did did this mean to you? How did this affect you? What are you seeing? What is God doing in you now that you were able to serve this way? How did this affect you? They kept on going, kept on going. Every story was meaningful. And then they got to the lady whose husband had just left her in the last two weeks. I thought to myself, don't do this. Again, the church doesn't know what's going on, but everybody on staff knows because we've been praying like crazy for this lady and her three children. And they asked her, how did, this, how did this mission strip affect you?"
7: And do you know what she said?
5: "This weekend has made me realize how blessed I am and how blessed my children are." And I'm sitting in the audience in tears going. Come on, are you kidding me? Your husband just left you two weeks ago and you're blessed? What is this, a joke? Is this ridiculous? You're blessed. If you're blessed, then I'm really blessed. See, the giant in your life has less to do with your present circumstances and more to do with God's ultimate purpose for your life. Her purpose in that moment was to show people that even in the midst of darkness and betrayal, God is still faithful to me. And God is still blessing me. I'm gonna get through this with or without my husband who's left. The ultimate purpose for her was simply to persevere. Even if he doesn't come back. Don't forget his past provisions in your life Don't forget his past faithfulness to you in your life. Don't get blinded by present realities in your life. Persevere. Persevere. I'm talking to somebody in this room. Persevere. Whether the giant moves or not, your job is to make it through and to honor Jesus along the way. I can't promise you that he's gonna take the giant out of your way, but I can promise you that he will be with you. He's carrying you right now through it. Persevere. Persevere. It's a new worship song that I've been listening to online and it has this refrain they sing over and over again. He is my hiding place and he's still my strong tower. He's still my strong tower. And it's like the preaching to the mind. I know I see this. I see this problem. I can't get it. He's still my high tower. He still protects me. He's still faithful to me. He still provides for me. He's my strong tower. And I will say that and believe it in the face of this giant that's before me. Whether he takes it out of the way or not. Whether he says yes or no or wait. I will persevere. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. I wish I could be one of those preachers that tells you that, hey, God wants to take that giant and slay it right before you and give you exactly what you want. Actually, that's not true. I don't wish I was that preacher because that's not true. It's not biblical. I'm the preacher that tells you the truth. Whether it works out or not, God has a purpose for you in the midst of this battle. And if you will rely on him, he will help you persevere and give him glory in the process. Life is less about you getting glory and more about him getting glory. He gets bigger, I get smaller. That's what it's about. Father, it's easy to get on stage and preach this with passion. It's a lot harder to live through it oh but i have my own war wounds i i have my own stories of how you've been faithful to me how you've been faithful to me how you've been faithful and provided for me and my family i have those stories and if i fixate my mind on those stories the present here and now the future of of what's to come doesn't worry me it doesn't stifle me doesn't render me frozen it doesn't render me paralyzed because my god is faithful and he provides And he protects. And my job in this whole thing is to persevere. Would you help us be a people that persevere? Would you help us be a people that are known for persevering? Would you help us make your name great by being a people who persevere? We ask in the name of Jesus.
6: everything. You know, our relationship with God begins with trust, with trusting in him for our salvation, uh, putting our life in his hands. And if you're here today and you haven't yet given your life over to Jesus, maybe you're just here visiting um, with family, maybe you're watching online, you just happened upon us. Um, You can begin a relationship with Jesus today just by putting your trust in him. He wants to forgive you. He's offering you forgiveness and you just need to accept it. Um, If you're willing to do that, Turn on. Turn from the world. Turn from doing life your way, and begin living living life God's way, putting your trust and faith in Him, accepting His offer to forgive you. Then you're a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. And if that's where you're at today, if God's doing something in your life spiritually, even if it's even if you're not there in that area where I described, maybe you have questions. Maybe you um, you just you know need to get some of those questions answered. We're here for you, we wanna be here for you. If you, on your way out of the service, wouldn't mind going by the welcome counter if that's you and talking to the people there, we want to be able to help you along in your journey towards Christ. And if you're online, go to campcc.net and click on next steps. um, And one of our pastors will get back to you later this week and help you along in your journey. All right, we're gonna receive um, the offering and that's one of the ways we worship the Lord. You can do that three ways, which you can see on the screen, hopefully. That's um, on online at campcc.net slash give by texting the amount you'd like to donate to 84321 or we have an offering box in the lobby. Um, if you consider this your church home and you want to honor the Lord through giving, that's how we'll do it. All the ministry here is supported through that. So thank you for your generosity that enables us to keep doing what we're doing here in this community and throughout the world. All right, we check out this
7: video of what's coming up next. Cam CC, I'm Jacob Salas, the middle school pastor. I'm glad you're here with us today. If you're looking for a place to serve, please reach out to me because we would love to get more people investing in the next generation. If today is your first time with us, we're so glad you're here. If it's your second time, we're blessed to have you back. If you're a first time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. All you have to do is grab a connection card, fill it out, both sides and take it to the welcome counter in the lobby or scan the qr code with your phone's camera and let the welcome counter know that you filled it out digitally you can also put your prayer request on this card as well if this is your second visit let us know at the welcome counter and grab a 10 dollars gift card to in n out burger we will also invite you to our all you can eat dessert with our pastors elders and staff If you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps to go through the guest process. There are many, many great things coming up at CamCC. Be thinking about who you will invite. September, growth groups are here. Only an eight-week commitment, childcare is available, and believe me, you will love meeting other great people from CamCC and doing life together. Give it a try. They kick off the week of September 17th. Last day to sign up is September thirteenth. For more info, email Lisa at camcc.net or go to camcc.net/groups. Pathways class. Take your spiritual journey to the next level. Led by our team of staff and elders, learn more about Camcc and be provided tools to deepen your relationship with God. Space is limited, so reserve your spot today at the growth group table or email Jim Moyer at camcc.net. September twenty-fourth, baptisms. We'll be having baptisms for both worship gatherings. If you would like to take the next step in your faith, sign up to get baptized. Mark your connection card, baptism, or go to camcc.net slash next steps and Pastor Daryl will get in touch with you or answer any questions you might have. This is a powerful way of putting your faith into action, a true outward expression for an inward change. For more info, contact Daryl at camcc.net.
1: In the eye of the storm, you remain in
7: Sunday, October 8th, Ryan Stevenson in concert, 7 p.m. CAMCC welcomes double award-winning and billboard charting artist Ryan Stevenson. I'm sure you recognize his songs from the radio or Spotify playlist. Tickets available on our website or skip the fees and purchase them in the lobby. Or if you want to serve, email katie at camcc.net. October 20th through the 22nd, Women's Retreat. Ladies, time is running out to sign up for the Women's Retreat held at Mount Crags in Calabasas. To register, go to camcc.net slash women. And for more info, contact Allison at campcc.net. Tuesday, October 31st, Trunk Retreat, 6 to 8 p.m. This is going to be awesome. We want you to invite your friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers to join us for a night of huge and rad trunks, a dance party, family photos, a candy cannon, and tons and tons of candy. We need trunks and volunteers. We want to fill out the parking lot with trunks. If you have a growth group, come serve and hang out at Trunk Retreat. This is a night you will not want to miss. Contact Sam at CamCC.net for more info. (music) To stay in the loop of what's going on at CamCC, Follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net.
4: My name is Eliana Gillespie. I'm one of the worship leaders here at Camp CC. And um, just something that I got out of the message was that just um, it's so good to know that we can draw so much comfort um, knowing that God's faithfulness um, and His promises will be there. Um, no matter what, and that we actually have been given access to His power, and so that will get us through any circumstance that may come our way. Um, Don't forget that there's coffee and donuts out in the patio, um, so please stick around and hang out and say hi to somebody that you don't know or somebody you haven't talked to in a while, um, and also be praying for someone that you may want to invite to church next week. Have a good Sunday, and we'll see you next time.